Are you considering adding rental properties to your portfolio? Do you have questions about how to develop the best tax strategy for your rental properties? If so, stay tuned. Coming to you from Tallahassee, the sunshine capital of the world, this is the Holland and Pick Show, your source for local interviews, tips, and strategies that will help you take your real estate hustle to the next level. Next level. Welcome to another episode of Holland and Pick. Today we have a special guest, John Harvard, CPA. Thanks for being with us, John. Thank you for having me. So, John, let's start with the basics. Let's talk about your background, uh, what you've been doing, and go from there. Sure. Since 2004, I've been um, a licensed CPA here in, in Florida, but I've been working for CPA firms since 2002. I started working with a couple of larger firms here in Tallahassee for about six years. And then he developed a clientele and, and decided to, to take that plunge myself and, and start a practice. I've always kind of wanted to own my own business, and I felt like it was a good way to start. And when I find advising clients, I can speak from a lot of experience now, having run my own business and have employees and, and have the opportunity to run payroll frequently and those, those yeah. types of things. So, <laughs> And how long have you been in business for? Today is actually my 11th year of having my own practice. Wow. Okay. So, Congratulations. Um, yeah, so I, I didn't realize that. It popped up on my LinkedIn today. So Nice. Yeah. So you've worked with Jason in the past, mm-hmm. right? And how, how did you guys meet? Through a networking group called BNI, Business Networking International. Okay. And give us an idea of um, your experience in and around real estate, maybe dealing with clients, maybe, you know, investing yourself. Give us an idea of how you've interacted with the real estate world. Sure. First of all, it's one of my my degrees at Florida State was in in real estate as well. So I have a degree in accounting, finance, and real estate. So it, it sort of started there. And having worked for a couple of the CPA firms that I did, one of them was very involved in developing properties and had some large developers that we spent some time with out of Atlanta. And so I got to interact at that level before starting to beginning to invest myself. And I have, you know, some residential rentals that I've had for probably since 2005. And I have also owned commercial space, uh, which we recently sold earlier this year. And then we've done some things in between, like getting contracts under, you know, properties under contracts, selling the assignment and things like that. So we've done a little bit of it all, you know, in that in that realm. So it's been interesting. There's a lot of different things you can do in real estate and so it kind of lets you be I don't know a little more creative do you have a preference of where in the real estate space you you are most comfortable I think if I had to because I'm in the business that I'm in I probably would lean more and try to buy more commercial space it's not you know the the tenants are less abusive you know to your property right. they don't turn over as frequently as you, you know some of your residential might um, but you can have bad commercial tenants or great ones same with residential it's kind of you know similar stories very very much so very much so so john tell us about your experience with residential investors and how you work with them and how you can help them sure i would say residential investors is just getting them organized and a little more thoughtful on the front end you know a lot of people 
you know, move into that investing without, you know, kind of beginning with the end in mind, um, not a lot of planning and, and those types of things. So one of the basic things, and it seems very obvious, is, you know, just setting up a way. How are you going to track your income and your expenses and evaluate this property from month to month? And a lot of times when we have some of the more beginners in, in residential investing is they, you know, get to tax time and they're just clawing, scrambling for, scrambling for all this yeah. information which you know had they been a little more thoughtful on the front end it, it's there and there's an easy way to track it and it's not as cumbersome you know it avoids the things like you know missing opportunities for expenses or things like that and just setting those things in place to be a little more organized and making sure we're taking advantage of everything yeah. and it gives you to look at those properties on a consistent basis if you're tracking that information on a monthly basis it's similar to any other business but a lot of times people People move into the space and they really don't treat it like a business from a record keeping type yeah standpoint. it's just an extension of their personal finances it is so what do you typically recommend to folks to set up a separate account I think that that's probably the best way to do is to set up a separate account if if all the income and all the expenses come out of that account and the accounts reconciled monthly it's a no-brainer I mean you've captured everything even if from time to time you personally have to fund that account because there's some shortfalls at least you know everything is flowing through that if you choose to have credit card or some sort of line of credit it's all attached to the same property you know that way you you're not, again, commingling you and your wife's date night or childcare expenses with your rental home. It just makes it a lot more efficient from that. So, so definitely on the front end, treat it like a business, maintain it like a business, and evaluate it frequently like a business. Perfect. Well, thank you, John. That's a great segue into our next segment. So we'll take a quick break and be right back. Holland and Picked, your source for learning real estate investing. Jason Picked here. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Holland and Picked Show. Do us a favor and head over to hollandpicked.com forward slash iTunes and learn how you can leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks so much. Holland and Picked, your source for learning real estate investing. All right, we're back. So again, we have John Harvard with Harvard and Associates CPA here with us. And John was just talking about things to consider when getting started with investing in residential real estate property. So John, jump off of that and talk to us about taxes and things that investors need to keep in mind when purchasing a property from a tax perspective. Sure. Glad to do that. You know, I think some of the things is just understanding how these rental properties are going to incorporate into your personal, you know, tax return and, and how they're going to be treated. Um, there some things that from a guess if you're owning these properties as a passive activity you have another career and you're doing that you know you really need to understand how it's going to affect it and some of the things and some of the opportunities that might be out there we all are aware of 1031 exchanges so if you're selling properties understanding how you can use a 1031 exchange to defer gains to then buy other properties or multiple properties if you choose to sell properties and actually take the funds. You've owned these properties for a period of time, so you've taken depreciation on them and understanding how that's going to impact your capital gains. So I would spend some time around that as well. A lot of people, for instance, might say, bought the property for 100000 and I sold it for 100000 There I should not have a gain. Whereas if you've depreciated that property over a certain amount of time, 
it's reduced your basis in that property from 100 to whatever the depreciation you've taken. So you do have a gain and you're gonna pay tax on that as well. So understanding that, and then if you're a high income earner and you're creating some losses out of the real estate, a lot of high income folks may not be able to take those losses immediately on their returns if they're not considered a real estate professional and there's some rules that go along with defining what that is. But if you're a high income earner and you're creating these losses, you may not be able to take them unless you sell the property or your income dips so you need to be aware of that. You don't lose those losses, so it's important that whoever your tax professional is or if you are the person taking care of your tax prep that you maintain a record of those losses that are accumulating. So there's a lot of things that go into the tax preparation and planning part of real estate. So I would recommend if you're not up to speed to certainly find a professional who is up to speed in that area. These are just a few examples of the complexity of that. Right, so a lot of this is is specific to an individual scenario. So you really need to sit down with somebody to understand what's the best strategy for me before I get started, right? Absolutely. And then really defining where do you want to take this real estate? How do you want it to create the income or the wealth that you're looking for? Developing a plan alongside your professional to help develop that plan is important. All right. So John, you mentioned a couple times a high income murder. How does the IRS actually define that? For married couples, it would be $150,000 of adjusted gross income. So, you know, those losses would get suspended and then um, you don't lose them. If you sold the property, that would be part of your calculation of the gain and the losses that would get kind of accumulated there. Okay. And what about for a single person? I believe it'd be a 75,000. Okay. So just half that. Very good. Um, So thinking about how you're going to set up the purchase on the front end, you had talked about how this affects a personal return. Is there a situation where you would not have rental income reported on your personal return or where it would be more beneficial not to have it reported on your personal return? Yeah, I think it's important to understand there's a wealth accumulation, there's an income piece to this, but then there's also an asset protection piece to this. And I would definitely encourage you to talk to a real estate attorney or someone um, who could kind of help you mitigate some of the risk in owning real estate, uh, whether it would be, you know, in their opinion, the need to set up an LLC and how that would protect you from someone, a renter, a tenant of some sort, penetrating your personal income or some of the wealth you've already accumulated. So yes, I mean, I think that there are times where it's necessary to set up these separate entities, have separate checkbooks, you know, and truly run business with that. And whether you have one or 10 entities in it, you know, I would defer that question to an attorney, but that's another important piece of it is is the asset protection part of it as well. So if you have the the asset in an LLC, are you always filing a separate return or is that just an option? Well, if you're a single member LLC, if you're the only partner of the LLC, it, you would not have to file a separate return. If you have a partner in the LLC, you would need to file a partnership return for that if you've elected for, to be a partnership. And is there any, is the income treated any differently? Is it taxed differently? It's not, it's not. It's really just makes it um, a simpler process in the tax prep. You don't have another return to prepare if you're a single member LLC. So that's very helpful, you know, just from a saving on your professional fees. So there's no tax benefit for putting it into an LLC. It's strictly liability type. It projection. is. 
It is. It is. And I get that question. People will ask me, should I set up an LLC to save taxes? Well, in many cases, it's, it's just not going to, it's not, that's not the purpose of it. That's not what, you know, um, is going to change. Because ultimately, if you're a partnership in an LLC, the income or loss is going to flow to your individual return, just like it would if, if, if it was set up on the Schedule E on your return. That sounds like a great way to, to segue to our next segment. So we'll be right back. Holland and Pick, your source for learning real estate investing. Hey, Jason Pick here. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Holland and Pick Show. Do us a favor and head over to hollandpick.com forward slash iTunes and learn how you can leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks so much. Holland and Pick, your source for learning real estate investing. All right, John. So another question for you. So once you've actually purchased a property, what are the highlights for people to understand? What can you and can't you deduct? Sure. Safely. Safely. <laughs> That's right. Well, most of the things associated with it, you can deduct. It's, I guess the question is, can you deduct it in year one or is it something you're going to have to depreciate over a number of years? And, you know, one thing when you purchase a piece of real estate, residential real estate, for example, you're going to have to allocate a certain amount of cost to the purchase of the building, the, the residential home, and a certain amount to the land. The land will sit there and it won't be depreciated. It's going to be there. So if it's a $100,000 piece of property and you allocate $30,000 to the land, it won't be depreciated from year to year. But the $70,000 on the residential real estate will be depreciated over 27 and a half years. Okay, say that one more time, please. So for example, if you purchase a $100,000 residential real estate, say $30,000 of that cost is attributed to the land that will not be depreciated okay but the 70,000 will be depreciated over 27 and a half years okay and that's residential if it were a commercial building the commercial building will be depreciated over 39 years so there's a difference there okay but the land is not depreciated it's not it's not but you're going to have some repairs some major repairs that extend the life of the building and those are going to need to be depreciated over a number of years but you're going to have some routine maintenance and things like that they're going to be expensed you know in one year and so that you know requires some you know professional judgment um, to that extent but the normal main the normal things to maintain the property like you know if you have janitorial or if you have insurance HOA fees uh, utilities you know all the things that go into maintaining a property that you as the landlord are responsible for are deductible and those would be deductible in the year it's the capital expenditures the big things that would would need to be depreciated gotcha like an air conditioner like an air conditioner. just bought an air conditioner unfortunately that's right that's right. right okay all right so you mentioned depreciation let's start from the beginning with that just at a high level what is depreciation and what do we need to know about it so the thought behind it is this it's the building is not going to be it's going to last for a certain number of years and the IRS gives us depending on what it is that we're doing it gives us a certain number of years that we have to depreciate these major costs or capital costs like the building 27 and a half years so if you buy it July 1st you're going to get six months of that in the year the next year you're going to get 12 months and so on and so forth and it's that depreciation that reduces your basis in the property so if you sell it you're going to have to recapture that along with any other gain that might be out there and so the reason john that that 
depreciation reduces your basis is because you're actually treating it as an expense year to year to reduce your taxable income. Is that right? That's exactly right. So if we didn't reduce the basis, we would be sort of double dipping in, in that. Right. You mentioned that commercial depreciation is different from residential. Why does that differ? There's a lot uh, about the IRS that I don't understand. And that, we can we can move that right up the level. You know, you know there's like 27, what'd you say, 27.5 years? How did At how the did residential we, and then 39. Right. How did we come up with those numbers? You don't know? I don't know that anybody knows the answer okay. to that question. You just that, threw, it, threw a dart at a wall and it stuck on 27.5 maybe. Yeah. The one thing to understand is actually the IRS does not create the rules. It's our Congress that does that. And so I don't know, you could probably take an inventory of their resumes. I don't know if any of them have any significant tax background. So that's that's probably how some of these odd things come about. All right. So John, thinking more about expenses, and we've talked about things you can take in full in year one, and then things that would have to be spread out over multiple years. So talk to us about real estate taxes, property insurance, and mortgage interest. How are those deductible? They're all going to be deductible in the year that they're they're incurred. So you pay for those things in the year. Those are going to be deductible. And those, you know, especially if you're leveraging the property and you're taking out mortgages, those are going to be some of your major expenses, the real estate taxes, the debt, and also the, the insurance as well. And those are good things to consider. You know, the insurance and the taxes, you know, you need to, on the front end, like I'd mentioned, think about those things and use those in your portfolio and make sure you're using good numbers. Contact your insurance agent. Here's a property I'm looking at. What's this going to cost me? Are there some improvements that I'm going to need to do in order to obtain insurance? Those types of things. Where's the real estate tax history on this property been in the past? What will it move to in the future? Very good. All right. So, John, going into the final part of this segment, uh, what are some important takeaways for investors who eventually plan to sell their rental property? We've talked about treating it like a business, having a game plan, keeping track of expenses. But for those investors who think that they will eventually sell or find themselves in a position where they need or want to sell, what do they need to do prior to selling? What do they need to be thinking about? I would say the number one thing is communicate with the professional you're working with so you can kind of walk through some of the the initial scenarios that you're considering. Um, Why are you selling? Uh, What's the tax impact if you choose to cash out? What are the exact rules for this property if you choose to 1031 it? Some of those things, I think if you can communicate that and why you're selling it with the person that you're working with, you can help, you know, come to a a solid decision for you in that scenario. So those are some of the things, calculating the gain and understanding I'm going to get this much cash, this is my tax impact, how much of it's going to be long-term capital gain, how much of it's going to be recaptured depreciation, and understanding what the true cash to you is right. going to be in the end. What's the difference between short-term versus long-term capital gains? So in this case, say you have a long-term capital gain, be 15 or 20%. Generally speaking, if you have some depreciation that you're going to recapture, that's going to be at 25%. So it's nice to, you know, you need to know that's why whoever's tracking the depreciation schedules and some of the other factors can provide you with that information and give you sort of the makeup of the ultimate tax that's going to be on the property. The short term is anything a year or less, long terms year and one day and over. So um, a lot of times these real estate investors are certainly in it for the, the longer haul, but maybe contracts or other things, other flips that might going to be more of an ordinary rate, which would be unique to the individual taxpayer. So less than a year, you're taxed at your individual ordinary income 
Yes. Great, whatever that happens to be for you as an individual. Yes, yes. So then explain, lastly, the recapture of depreciation. How is that calculated and, and how does that affect your total tax on a long-term gain? Sure, because 100000 is an easy number for us to, to go with. You know, if we depreciate $25,000 on that particular prop property, that $25,000, say you sell it for 125000 so we started with a $100,000 property. We depreciated $25,000, so that brings it to $75,000. Mm-hmm. We sell that property for $125,000. So we have a $50,000 delta there. 25% or $25,000 is going to be taxed at the 25%, and that's for the depreciation that's been taken. The other will be taken either at your short-term or long-term rate at that point. So you really need to, like I say, track those things or have those things tracked for you so you can tax them at the appropriate bucket. The other thing is knowing when you're selling the property, things that are going to reduce the gain are closing costs, uh, real estate commissions, and those types of things. So those will also help reduce the gain if, if those costs are incurred as well. So it's important when you file the taxes, working with a professional, they're going to need to see the HUD statements and be sure and pick up on all of those other expenses that you can. Does the IRS have a preference? Do they do they want to try to encourage you to keep the property longer? Do they do they care? They don't. They don't care? Yeah. Okay. I, don't, I don't know. They have a strong opinion there. Yeah. I was talking to a friend today about marriage of all things and it's set up to keep people together right but okay good to know that the IRS doesn't care yeah just when you realize those gains they do care that you remit the tax that's right they want want the the money I got it yeah okay again it's important to you know get you're going to get mortgage interest statements and they're going to be reported to the IRS so it's important to share those with your tax preparer. Those numbers will need to match and make sure they match so you don't get nasty grams from the IRS. Okay, well, thank you all for listening to another episode of the Holland and Pick Show. Thank you to our special guest, John Harvard with Harvard and Associates CPA. If you want to find out more information about John, you can go to his website, harvardandassociates.com. John, thanks so much for being with us. Well, thanks for the opportunity. It's great to be here. Coming to you from Tallahassee, the sunshine capital of the world. This is the Holland and Pick Show, your source for local interviews, tips, and strategies that will help you take your real estate hustle to the next level. Next level.